Join us for our two and a half day in-person hospice operations certification workshop in beautiful San Diego, California, August 23rd to the 25th. Learn the skills to enhance quality care, operational efficiency, and strategic growth while advancing your professional development as a certified hospice professional operator. Space is limited, so register today at cfe.chapinc.org. Greetings, I'm Jennifer Kennedy, the lead for quality at CHAP, and welcome to this month's CHAPcast. I have the pleasure to talk with Maria Warren today from McBee about home health care episodes. Hi, Maria. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. So for all of our listeners out there in podcast land, could you um, tell us what you do at McBee and, and, and you know, what, what do you, what does your job and world look like on a, a day-to-day basis? <laughs> well, sure. I'll start That's off. Lot, with there's right? No, <laughs> right? There's no such thing as a perfect and I, I, ideal day. But as you mentioned, my name's Maria Warren and I am the vice president of clinical consulting services at McBee. Um, for those listening that are not familiar with McBee, uh, we be- began back in 1973. So we're almost 50, uh, just shy of 50 years years young uh, in the industry that we have a, a great tenure and provide healthcare consulting um services across the healthcare continuum. So everything from clinical, financial, and operational strategic advisory services to help our clients overcome any obstacles uh, that they may be facing, uh, help them improve and achieve sustained results. I've been with McBee now for uh, just celebrated my 12-year anniversary. And yay. Uh, uh, And through that time, I had a various... uh, roles across uh, different departments and areas within McBee. Started off in revenue cycle, did some strategic consulting, interim management uh, positions, project management on um, EMR implementations and feature functionality assessments. And then realized that uh, throughout all of them, I I had such a connection into uh, the the clinical consulting world uh, and took over uh, leading this group uh, probably about four years ago now, where uh, my two teams focus in on helping, uh, one being our episode management team that we'll talk a little bit more about uh, today and improving uh, clients, uh, helping them achieve uh, optimal episode management through uh, mitigating their, their lupas, in, in increasing their overall um, adherence to the plan of care and managing those periods per episode a little bit better uh, where possible, um, uh, optimizing revenue tied to it across those two 30-day periods. And oh, all, through all of that, we'll talk about about how it ties into to value-based purchasing and improved outcomes. And the other team um, that I oversee is our uh, clinical compliance team who focuses on everything from internal compliance initiatives such as pre-bill, quality reviews, QAPI, mock surveys, so ties into a lot of what you do at CHAP. Um, as well as helping with focused medical review and also supports a lot of um, organizations in their merger and acquisition support services in completing those clinical compliance reviews. 
Wow, that is just literally a ton of stuff that you've got going on there at McBee. So um, I wanted to start off because I heard the words optimally manage an episode and, and that caught my attention. You know, just to let you know, I am a novice at, in today's home health realm. I, I left home health back in the mid-90s when it was all sort of going sideways and, and went to the hospice world. But um, what is involved for a provider who uh, is optimally managing an episode of care for a patient? A lot goes into it. So I, I'll first I'll, I'll start off on I, giving my definition of you know episode management. You know, mm -hmm. and, and how we define it is that continuous and proactive patient episode of care review process, really, which allows the providers to demonstrate the pursuit of CMS's triple aim to go um, to increase the health of the population, experience of the care, and per capita cost, and, and reduce the per capita cost tied to it. So when you think about what's involved in optimally managing it, um, that episode of care for the patient, the number one thing that we, we tie it back to is oversight of that clinical manager and case manager. Uh, they essentially play the role of air traffic control. Um, in coordinating care among that interdisciplinary care team. So that clinical manager and case manager um, are responsible for ensuring that communication across all the disciplines, as well as with the physicians and other members of the healthcare team to keep everyone informed on changes, changes to the patient's status, um, changes to the plan of care. So it's important that um, everybody's communicating and collaborating to make sure that most importantly the patient's getting the care that they need and their needs are are being met as part of it one thing that we always recommend is instituting at start a care some type of huddle or case conferencing so that you're, you're getting collaboration across those disciplines. So when everybody goes in and sees the patient, they're going in at different days on different times, they're seeing different things so that they're able to come together and talk about that assessment and evaluation of the patient, which then helps uh, the care team establish the most effective and efficient plan of care that's patient-specific and really focused on achieving uh, that, that patient-stated goal that they outline. You know, I, I, I heard you say coordination of care, and that, I think that for any kind of provider in any space, coordination of care can be very challenging, you know, depending on um, the, you know, the, the individuals in the group, um, what's going on in any given day, the patient and family themselves. So, um, you know, given that coordination might be one of those uh, challenge triggers, what are some other things, and you can feel free to expand on coordination of care, but what are some challenges that you see that like, really put the kibosh on that optimal management of an episode. <laughs> As I said earlier with my day, there's no there's no <laughs> typical day. You know, you're always faced with some sort of challenges and obstacles, um, no matter in every single department within the organization. But then on the other hand, you're going into a patient's home who, who they have, um, they, they may have caregivers, they may have pets, um, depending on what they have going on in their day. Every single day is different. So when you think about all of the challenges and encounters that could be faced, um, they, they're driven on the provider side as well as on the patient side. Um, 
provider side, I mean, the biggest thing right now that we see is with a lot of the staffing shortages. Um, do we have enough clinicians to be going out and seeing all the patients? Also then on um, the patient side, it's driven on, is the patient refusing a visit? Um, they just don't feel like having the visit today. Or are they re outright refusing a com uh, an entire discipline? Um, a change to the patient's needs, you know, may, may be also driving it. They may be rapidly improving or just having a feel-good day saying, oh, no, I don't need that visit today. Um, or they may be declining um, and moving or missing those visits uh, that may be tied to some of those staffing challenges that, I'm talk that I talked about. So you want to make sure that when all of these changes are happening and all the challenges that you're facing, how do you still keep in front of the patient and keep them engaged? So that could potentially be through um, just a care call with them to say, we understand you don't want to visit today, but let me check in. How are you doing? Or trying to do it via telehealth if you can't get out there. Because the most important thing is you want to make sure that you're checking in with the patient um, and keeping them safe in the home. So that's really where that strong oversight of the patient and that ongoing collaboration, um, everybody talking about what's going on with the patient as well well as talking to the patient uh, is really essential to help manage and mitigate the day-to-day -day obstacles that are put forth through all of this. Absolutely. And, and you did mention the word proactive before, which mm -hmm. I love that, you know, because that's, I think, you know, for hospice and probably any other providers, you're trying to keep ahead of it, right? Trying to anticipate um, what could happen, you know, we introduce this new medicine or, you know, we're seeing um, this intervention put into place, you know, what, what, mm -hmm. what's the fallout from that or what's a potential fallout for that? So um, sometimes that can be challenging depending, again, um, you know, do you have a patient who's actively engaged in their plan of care? We're not so much, right? So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate your, your saying that as well, because sometimes I feel when I was back in uh, two feet on the ground in an organization that I was chasing a beach ball on a windy day. I couldn't mm -hmm. quite get my hands on it, you know. Um, but it seems like no matter, um, uh, uh, you know, the circumstances, the goal is the same, is that, you know, you want to be able to um, have that good coordination and that good proactiveness in order to anticipate and manage your plan of care. Absolutely. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, there's so many hurdles uh, that, that get encountered and some days are just everybody feels better better than other days. Better that in I, I want the visit or I don't want the visit. I want somebody in my home. I don't want somebody in my home. And just really trying to be proactive and preventative and uh, especially in keeping them safe. You know, we, we don't want um, an unintended ED visit or hospitalization just tied by us not being able to reach out and to check in. So being proactive um, and as well as trying to anticipate, well, what could be happening? Um, how do we best prepare and keeping the patient uh, dialed in as well as if they're thinking about saying, oh, no, I'm feeling okay. Well, let's talk about, you, you really said you wanted to get out and, and start walking your dog around the block again. How are we going to get there if I'm not there helping you out today? Uh, so it's really getting that buy-in and constantly reminding them about their the, the reason why you're there to help them and how you're going to help them achieve their goals too. Do you think, um, in, in, you know, particularly over the last couple of years, um, that telehealth has really helped in episode management? 
Absolutely. It has helped um, that it's giving you another way of checking in on the patient, having a touch point for the patient. I mean, nothing replaces in-person visits by actually able to see not only um, them full body as well as um, any other obstacles or barriers that could be in the the home um, that they may trip or fall on and things like that. But um, doing some sort of telehealth visit or care call gives that patient that added touch point of somebody checking in on them. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, oftentimes the clinician may be the only person that they hear from in a day. I know that kind of sounds a little sad and depressing, but uh, oftentimes um, that clinician is the only one maybe checking in on them on some days. So having that call that they can say, something's going on or thanks for checking in, I'm doing great or I feel stronger today It is a great way. Um, and technology, you know, it has come so far in helping us to be able to do that and to make sure that patients are being safe within their home and as well as just checking in on them on how they're doing. I can't agree more. You know, I, I see such benefit uh, of Um, telehealth just being such a great adjunct to in-person visits you know like you said it's that extra touch point to to really just say how how are you doing today is there anything you need um you know is there anything new happening or or even just you know being that connection for them if if they're living alone and um, they don't have anyone else to talk to for um you know, a day or two or even many days until the nurse or the therapist comes again right or the Mm -hmm. aide So you said the magic words, value-based purchasing. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, You know, as it relates to episode management, how do you think that's, is is an episode going to be impacted by value-based purchasing? What what are your thoughts on that? So uh, episode management, it has a significant role in value-based purchasing. Um, You know, I would say it it puts more... uh, emphasis on the plan of care, um, as well as just how we manage the episode completely. So if you think about the breakdown for value-based purchasing and how that TPS score is calculated, you got your OASIS-based measures, your claim-based measures um, that include the acute care hospitalizations and ED usage, and then the last piece of it being um, the HH caps surrounding the patient satisfaction, um, that's really where episode management, it plays a role in all of these. Mm -hmm. Um, So from from the beginning when the patient's getting assessed to to setting up that um, plan of care um, to then at the end of, well, is the patient satisfied with those services? It has touch points all along the way. So episode management really plays a key role in all of these. So after... um, that assessment and evaluation are complete. You know, I mentioned earlier that communication among that care team is critical. Developing that plan of care, tailoring it to the patient to make sure that it addresses the patient's goals and their needs, making sure that the interventions are included to address patients' areas of risk um, that could drive to um, rehospitalization or ED use as part of it. You really want to make sure that um, 
agencies are looking to establish processes and guidelines um, for their staff ar around front-loading um, care for patients um, that may be at high risk of rehospitalization, how to prevent gaps in care by rescheduling missed visits timely. Um, you know, as we talked a little bit about some of the, how you splice in um, if there are any missed visits, um, care calls or telehealth visits as fillers in between if you can't get out there. And care coordination and collaboration, that's a key piece um, into the patient's oversight. You want to make sure that the patient's improving towards their patient's stated call and making sure that they're ensuring any barriers to care are identified and appropriate modifications are made to that plan of care. You know, if it's adjusting schedules, identifying other disciplines needed, adding in those care calls, increasing the touch points to really make sure that um, especially when the, the patient could be, um, you know, when they're the, the sickest, when they first come on service and they have the highest acuity that um, we're preventing any uh, emergency department visits or hospitalizations. Um, as part of that, you really want to also look into the continuity of care for the patient. Um, how do we make sure that um, through that, that we're constantly reminding the patient, as we talked about, why are you there? To help make them better, but most importantly, to work to uh, towards them achieving their patient's stated goal. Made the reference of walking the dog, granddaughters getting married this summer, um, want to get back to going to coffee in the morning with my friends. Right. Whatever it may be, you want to see them, um, you want to keep bringing that back to the forefront of, well, we got to do this so that we can get you back to doing what you love the most. And and that really helps on driving those patient satisfaction scores. The patient engagement piece is really crucial to the success of the home health care plan, um, which then directly relates to the, the agency's success with patient satisfaction, um, value-based purchasing, and overall achievement of performance outcomes. Oh my gosh, this sounds like a lot of pressure for home health providers to be entering this kind of a um, you know, a payment methodology. What do you, when, when you think about that, that, you know, is coming in January, um, how can home health providers, well, I would hope they're starting to prep for this, but how do you think home health providers can get their arms around this and what should they be doing right now to, to get ready for this kind of a, um, an environment of uh, quality driving uh, payment? Yeah, pre pre preparation, it started yesterday. And, you know, and obviously <laughs> there were, there, there, the, the, I guess the good for some, for some of the listeners, depending on where they are, they may be in states that are already part of value-based purchasing. Um, but for the others that may be listening in non-value-based uh, purchasing states, uh, that they need to know what, what are, what are lessons learned? What should I be doing today? How do I prepare as this rolls out nationwide? Um, and the agency should focus in on reviewing um, the value-based purchasing. It's a, it's a preview a report that CMS recently released to identify the specific areas where they fall below the CMS national median and 90th um, percentile benchmarks. 
So in areas where they fall below the benchmarks, that's really where they should prioritize um, based on the weighting of those items and how that ties back to that overall TPS score. Um, and when developing their plan for improvement, they cons should consider, you know, what are their current performance improvement projects? Um, where are they with they, them? Um, have, they, uh, have these projects already had the potential to impact the areas? Because you don't want to make sure that you're duplicating efforts if you've already been putting a focus on it, how do you then benchmark uh, again? Um, but if you think in any of these areas with um, looking at patient satisfaction scores, okay, what can we do to improve those um, by, you know, uh, dropping um, buzzwords within visits and, you know, encouraging patients to complete them? Um, or how do we increase the continuity of care? Uh, the other big area being in the rehospitalization and ED usage. Uh, let's let's do a look back. Why, why did we have um, hospitalizations and ED usage occurring? Let's look within the record. Were there gaps in care? Were there... Uh, missed visits, patient refusals, um, did we um, not um, get out, to, what prevented us from getting out to see the patient? Um, was it within our control or not? Sometimes some of these things are outside of our control, but once you audit some of those, trend out what the findings are, and then take it back to say, what do we do from a process, procedure, um, how do we uh, change and do more education, then you educate, 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 and then go back to say, well, did the education stick? Then you go repeat the cycle to say, are we seeing improvement in these areas now that we've um, reviewed put corrective actions in place for how we're going to improve these and then continue to revisit them to make sure that you're trending in the positive direction. So it sounds like, um, you know, the, the, the quality uh, piece of this value-based purchasing, um, which I, I love, I, I love that, you know, there's, there's, um, accountability, if you will, to, to, uh, reach a certain threshold. It, in quality, you know, you have to perform X in order to receive incentivized payment. Do you think, um, as we look at, at this value-based purchasing model and um, uh, episode of care management, that um, some providers are going to struggle with that in order to meet those quality goals that are set there uh, in order to get you know, that incentivized payment. Do you think that's going to be an issue? It, it can be an issue, um, but de depending, that there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, you know, when you think of being scored um, in a, across the nation, where you only have small co cohorts and large cohorts, um, depending on the size of your organization, the sophistication of your organization um, from, uh, I would say, an electronic health record or by having data at your fingertips that you um, can track, trend, monitor, um, being able to quickly um, deploy changes. I mean, some, sometimes um, you think of the, the nimbleness of an organization from being able to quickly implement a change may work better on a smaller to midsize than a large national chain. They, it may take them a longer time to roll out said changes in education. So 
there's a lot of pros and cons um, and, and different things that work for agencies of various sizes, but being able to have access uh, to the data, um, as well as then having a, a team behind you um, that's constantly reviewing, tracking, trending, digging into the charts and finding where there's areas for opportunity, um, it, it's there, there will be opportunity and uh, as in everything, there, there's going to be winners and losers to it. Um, right. And how you think about it, how you respond to it, react to it, as well as how much you prepare for it, um, all, all, all tie into uh, what, what the chances are for, for success within the value-based purchasing program. Wow, this is just a lot that's happening to home health. And um, like I, I said before, I, I, I like the idea of the quality proposition built into um, driving um, that episode of care. So hopefully organizations can see the benefit to it in the long run um, because we all want patients uh, to have the best quality care they possibly can have, no matter you know whether they're receiving home health or an inpatient hospital stay or even at end of life in hospice. So Maria, we've come to the end here and I wanted to just um, ask you if you have any additional thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up. Wow, what to share with everybody. I mean, we covered a whole, whole uh, I guess, listing of, of topics and takeaways for them. Uh, but what I, I'd really like to share is um, be, be thoughtful, be proactive. Um, never stop listening and learning. You know, great podcast like you put on here, Jennifer, of just always having that opportunity to listen to what others are doing, um, listen to the advice that they have to share. I mean, within podcasts and things that um, chat puts out, as well as um, uh, other things such as uh, on the website, newsletters, always there's nuggets in everything that you can take away and how you take that and connect it back into your organizations or bring it back to a meeting and say, have we thought about this? Or what are we doing to prepare for that? Um, there, there's just so many things out there to leverage, to help you be prepared and to help not only yourself, but your organization be the best version possible. Um, I would say that's my advice to everybody of never stop being a perpetual learner and looking for what's out there, especially with value-based purchasing on the horizon. Um, There's so many things that you may say, well, we do our, we do these things every single day, but taking one step further of how do we do it better and how do we drive um, the quality of care for the patient? How do we improve our outcomes and how do we increase our patient satisfaction as all part of it? Excellent. Continuous quality improvement. I love those words. (laughs) So thank you so much, Maria, for joining us today to talk about this really important topic. And hopefully um, everyone who's uh, been able to listen to the podcast today uh, will have some great takeaways from Maria about um, managing an episode and preparing for value-based purchasing. So to all of you out there, thanks for taking time out of your day to plug into our podcast, and hopefully you are taking away a pearl of wisdom from this discussion. Thanks again. Stay safe and well.